Hello, this is, hello, this is Nathan Carmen. Nathan, this is United States Coast Guard Boston. Yes, I hear you. Uh, yes, sir. I I, I need to understand what happened. Over. Over the past four years, a wealthy New England family has fallen into disarray in a twisted tale involving a murder in Connecticut, accusations against family members, and a mysterious disappearance at sea. From Boston 25 News, this is New England's Unsolved, a podcast of cold cases, crime files, and questions waiting for answers. I'm Dalton Maine. On today's episode, we'll take a look at the murder of New Hampshire millionaire John Chocolas, the investigation into his grandson, the legal battle over his fortune, and one massive Coast Guard search on the Atlantic Ocean. This is the sound of a beloved Christmas light display at the Chocolas family farm in Chesterfield, New Hampshire, back in 2013. It's a YouTube video shot through the windshield of a car driving along a path of beautifully illuminated trees, bushes, and wireframe figures. Chocolas and his wife would set this up every year and collect donations for local charities. 2013, though, was the last year Chocolas put in countless hours of work to decorate his farm for families all over New England to enjoy. That year, he used the decorating as a way to occupy his mind and his time in the wake of his wife's death from cancer just before Thanksgiving. It was also his last light display before he was found shot to death in his bed on December 21st. Sometime that night, Chocolas was shot three times as he slept in his home just outside Hartford, Connecticut. We are looking at every possible angle that will help us to determine who did this and why. Outside 52 Overlook Drive in Windsor, neighbors say the yellow crime scene tape and these half dozen cop cars have been here since 8.30 Friday morning. That's when police in town got a 911 call from inside the home of 87-year-old John Chocolos. On the other end of that line, officers say it was one This of is a news report from WFSB News in Hartford, Connecticut, from the day John Chocolos was found dead by one of his daughters. Inside the home, uh, we found that he had suffered a gunshot wound to the head. Here's Hartford Police Captain Tom Lepore speaking to WFSB back in 2013. We can't speak about any of the investigative um, leads at this point uh, or motives, um, but we are looking at a number of different angles. We're speaking with uh, all family members uh, to try to develop lists of anyone who might have had motive, uh, reason to harm him. John ran an investment business out of his home in Connecticut. And he and his wife split their time between that home outside Hartford and their farm in New Hampshire. He does have holdings up in the New Hampshire area, uh, an estate in Chesterfield that uh, every year he decorates. He and his wife would decorate you know, for Christmas and invite the public to come through with a donation to the local food bank. It was a tragedy for both a family and the two communities Chocolas called home. My father, while he lived a small life, he was a very large man, and to know him, you could never forget him. His daughter, Valerie Santilli, spoke to WFSB a year after her father's murder, explaining how difficult it was living with no answers. It's been quite difficult because he died suddenly and tragically. 
The worst part is, is that it's been a year and there's still no answers as to um, who committed the crime. Publicly, the case went cold, but the fact that John Chocolis was murdered never changed. This person killed at least once that we know of. This person's gotten away with murder, and chances are it will happen again. Police did have a suspect, and detectives followed the evidence, or rather the lack of evidence, to a dead end. The last person to see John alive was his grandson, Nathan. Nathan had been to dinner with his grandfather the night before and was supposed to meet his mother at 3 a.m., but she told police he wasn't heard from until 4 a.m. Police eventually asked for an arrest warrant for Nathan, but it was returned unsigned. The judge wanted more information. Here's what police did have. Nathan was the last person to see John alive. Nathan was late to meet up with his mother. And when police asked for certain items from Nathan, like the GPS device he was using at the time, they were told it had been discarded. And later, police would discover Nathan had purchased a rifle that matched the caliber bullet used to shoot John. But when police asked for the rifle, Nathan told them he lost it. The simple lack of evidence can't convict Nathan. No bullet casings were found in John's room, and the room itself had been cleaned of any physical evidence. What might have convinced some investigators that Nathan could have been motivated to kill his grandfather was the enormous estate left behind. At least a portion of his $42 million estate was set aside for Linda Carmen, Nathan's mother. And the case was quiet until September of 2016. It's a suspended search for a New England mom lost at sea after a boat sank. Her son somehow was able to survive. The woman left Point Judith, Rhode Island, more than a week ago with her son. Her 22-year-old son was rescued about 100 miles south of Martha's Vineyard. He's on his way back to Boston right now. Fox Vice Bob Ward is live in Boston. And Bob, there are a lot of unanswered questions. And it's a bit of a mystery about what really went wrong. Yeah, you know, this is a real mystery. The Coast Guard searched an area roughly the size of Georgia for almost a full week, and they couldn't find Nathan or Linda Carmen. The search was actually called off, but Nathan was found yesterday. A freight ship found him. He's on his way back to Boston. He is said to be in good condition, but his mother is apparently lost at sea, and there are a lot of questions about what really happened. More after the break. Boston 25 Morning News. I'm Gene Levanchi. And I'm Sarah Underwood. Six hours of local coverage. We have breaking news right now. We're going to reporters. Updated weather and traffic every 10 minutes. My forecast has a rain picking up hour by hour. This alternate route will save you 10 minutes. Reporters live with breaking news happening in your neighborhood. Live in Watertown. Live in Hyannis. Live along Central Harbor. Following the stories that impact your day. We have a live look right now. Three to four inches of water rushed by. Watch Boston 25 Morning News, 4 to 10 a.m. Hello, hello, this is Nathan Carmen. Nathan, this is United States Coast Guard Boston. Hello? Nathan, this is United States Coast Guard Boston. Yes, I hear you. Uh, yes, sir. I, I, I need to understand uh, yes, I, I, uh, I need what to happened. Understand, uh, Over. What happened? Over. Mom and I, two people, myself and my mom, were fishing. Uh, block Canyon and there was a funny noise in the engine compartment I looked and saw a lot of water 
I was bringing, so I had my mom bring in the reel. I brought the safety stuff forward, and I was bringing one of the safety bags forward. The boat just dropped out from under my feet. Uh, when I saw the life raft, I did not see my mom. Uh, have you found her? Uh, no, we uh, we haven't been able to find her yet. So I got to the life raft after I got my bearings, and I was whistling and calling and looking around, and I didn't see her. Understood. Okay. So we're fishing around Block Canyon. Okay. Right, and when did that happen? Do you remember I don't what know day? The exact coordination. When did that happen? Do you remember what day? Yes, it was a week ago today around midday. Okay, so last Sunday. Okay, so last Sunday. Yes. In September of 2016, Linda and Nathan Carmen loaded up their boat with fishing supplies and headed south from Rhode Island for a pre-dawn fishing trip. But a day later, they hadn't returned, and the Coast Guard began scouring the waters between Rhode Island Martha's Vineyard, and New York's Long Island, looking for any sign of the Carmens or their boat, the chicken pox. After almost a week, the search was called off. There was simply no sign of Linda or Nathan in the area they told friends they were going to fish. But then a Chinese freight ship found Nathan drifting in a life raft on the Atlantic Ocean about 100 miles south of Martha's Vineyard. I would just like to thank the public uh, for their prayers and for their concern for both my mother and for myself. I feel healthy. I feel healthy. Uh, emotionally, I've been through a huge amount. As you heard in the radio transmission, Nathan told the Coast Guard he didn't know what happened to his mother, but that the boat started taking on water and abruptly sank. According to the Coast Guard, Linda is presumed lost at sea. She had no food and water, and there was also no other life raft aboard the chicken pox. With that information in mind, it is the, to believe that she, the likelihood of her being alive is minimal. Nathan told the Coast Guard he survived for eight days in a life raft before he was finally rescued and reunited with his father. None of us really know what he went through, and I'm sure it was traumatic. Emotional? Has this been an emotional Oh, thing? me? Yeah, a roller coaster. <laughs> but, and I, I, I know for Nathan it has been too. So uh, we'll just leave it at that. Loving process. I know he's going to have to. Really don't want to say much at all at this point. Uh, my son's doing okay, as he can, coping with what's going on. Once he feels more comfortable, I'm going to go pick him up, and we're going to work through everything. But the disappearance of Linda Carmen was more than just a tragedy for her family. It was further evidence of what they had believed for years, that Nathan couldn't be trusted. We're alleging that Nathan Carmen murdered his grandfather, John Chakalos, and he did it in part uh, in order to obtain an inheritance from Mr. Chakalos, who was a very successful real estate developer. This is Boston-based attorney Dan Small. He's representing Linda's sisters. The money from John's estate hasn't been distributed to his family, and a lawsuit filed by the Chakalos sisters is proposing to have their nephew Nathan cut from the will and declared responsible for the deaths of both John Chocolis and Linda Carmen. We are essentially prosecuting a murder case in civil court. Let's put it this way, in any murder case, any criminal case, but particularly a murder case, you're looking for three things, means, motive, and opportunity. Uh, means, Nathan was clearly there, he was the last one to see him, 
uh, motive. He understood to inherit a great deal of money and opportunity. Uh, he was there, was the last one to see him. Uh, and also, you have extraordinarily troubling evidence about Nathan essentially covering up and hiding this crime. He, uh, he apparently destroyed his computer hard drive before the police could get it, destroyed his GPS, and most important, he got rid of the gun uh, that we believe was used in that murder. There was no sign of a break-in at John's home, and nothing had been disturbed beyond cleaning the crime scene. It's as if someone entered the home that night solely to kill John Chocolis and to get away with it. No, no, uh, no sign of a break-in, and no sign of anything taken or, or even disturbed in any way. How did the family, the family is dealing with that loss, which is an immense loss. Did they suspect Nathan at this point? Well, I, I don't want to talk a great deal about the details of the family, but you can imagine your first reaction is always going to be to protect the family and to assume that your family member has acted appropriately. And the point at which you begin to see that the police believe that he is the murderer and the evidence points to that, it's a terrible moment, a terrible moment for any family and particularly for a family that's been as as close and loving as his family. And how was the relationship with Nathan and his mom? Were they, were they close? Were they... It was, by all accounts, a very up and down relationship, just like uh, with the grandfather. Uh, but fishing was one of the few things that Linda Carmen was able to do to spend time with her son. Uh, and even though she was not a particularly avid fisherman, fisherwoman, uh, but it was something that they were able to do together where she could spend time with her son, which is what any parent wants. Does she tell people what, what's going to happen and, and you know, what they're going to do? Well, yes, she told people that they were going to go fishing very close to shore. In fact, what Nathan did was to take them way out to the continental shelf. That's not what she wanted, that's not what she told people was going to happen. Uh, she told people they were going fishing, but it was going to be a relatively short, not terribly far trip, and it turned into something very different. Nathan is seen before this fishing trip working on his boat. What do we know about that? Well, again, that's Nathan uh, removed the trim tabs. There are tabs in the back of the boat. That we call them tabs, but they're very large uh, metal pieces in the back that help the boat's stability. There's absolutely no reason to remove them, and removing them leaves large holes in the back of the boat, which he uh, plugged with some just temporary fix. It's totally nonsensical. There's no good reason to do it, unless you're making it easier to go out and sink the boat. So what do we know about when that, that boat, the chicken pox, leaves the waters of Rhode Island? What the problem is, we don't know very much because we're not there. What we do know is that Nathan's story about what happened is complete nonsense. He told the co there's a, a tape of an interview with the Coast Guard. Mom and I, two people, myself and my mom. Not an interview, but just there were a back and forth. And he said to the Coast Guard, uh, and you know, the boat made a funny, funny noise and started taking on water, water, and I don't know where my I mom is. Do you mom? know where my mom is? Uh, have you found her? How could he not know where his mom is at that point? 
When you listen to that tape, what do you hear? Uh, I hear someone lying. The mounting circumstantial evidence around Nathan Carmen has led to a media frenzy. Police from several states continue to investigate a Vermont man who spent a week lost at sea after his boat sank off the coast. What I've learned is that investigators considered Nathan a suspect and told a judge that he was also a gun owner capable of violence. Fox 25 is uncovering new information about Nathan Carmen's troubled past and violent childhood. Neighbors described Nathan to police as a time bomb waiting to go off. Another described him as murder boy. The lack of answers from Nathan himself has led many to start filling in their own, especially since Nathan himself is elusive. The phone number he listed on insurance forms is disconnected, and when we showed up to his home in Vermont, we found a sign barring journalists from his property. The suspicions swirled as soon as he disembarked from a Coast Guard vessel, looking healthy and seemingly unaffected by the trials of more than a week lost at sea. What makes this case slightly more complicated is that Nathan has been diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome, which is a form of autism. You may have noticed his monotone voice in the radio transmission with the Coast Guard and in his interview with reporters. Well, I think he's, he's been diagnosed with Asperger's, and I think he presents very much like a person with Asperger's. This is Dr. Ellen Broughton. I think the media has reacted in a way that they should. When you're interviewing someone, you're interviewing them, not just what they're saying, how they're saying it, what they look like when they're saying it. I think in his case, that's not necessarily um, particularly meaningful because he's presenting as someone with Asperger's. So you, you can't interpret his behaviors in a way that you typically would as you're interviewing somebody. We spoke to Dr. Broughton about Nathan's Asperger's diagnosis and what it means to look at some of his behavior in the wake of these tragedies. Okay, so I'm a clinical psychologist and the director of the Learning and Emotional Assessment Program at Massachusetts General Hospital. As she explains, people with Asperger's can be misunderstood. He has a flat monotone to his voice. He's somewhat perseverative in his thinking and in his speaking and his way of communicating. Um, he has trouble seeing the big picture and understanding sometimes what the gist of a question is that he's been asked. And he gets sort of lost in the details as opposed to um, really answering from an emotional place. And kids with Asperger's often have trouble with emotional language. And that's very evident in, his, in the tapes that I've observed of him. But it's not just the media Nathan is avoiding. His aunt's attorney says he has refused polygraph tests and won't speak on the record about what happened the day his mother disappeared. Uh, first of all, people with Asperger's do not commit crimes any more than people without Asperger's. And I think using the symptoms of Asperger's as a way of assuming that someone has committed a crime is just wrong. Well, let me just say, Nathan Carmen supposedly has Asperger's. But Asperger's has nothing to do with it. Asperger's doesn't interfere with someone's ability to know right from wrong. I think that if he did commit the crime, that there's something more than Asperger's that's happening here. There's something more significant, some more, uh, more significant psychopathology, um, like, you know, a, a kind of personality disorder or something. We wouldn't be talking about Asperger's, we'd be talking about some other sort of more significant diagnosis. Is Nathan Carmen a dangerous person? We believe Nathan Carmen 
is a murderer, and if he gets away with murder, I don't know how else you would define a dangerous person than that. Billboards have been posted all over New England, and a large reward has been offered for information that leads to John Chocolis's killer. But a case that started late on a December night almost four years ago in a Connecticut home has been swept out to sea and brought back to New Hampshire's probate and trust court, which will decide what to do with John's estate and whether Nathan Carmen was the person who shot John Chocolis in his sleep. Unsolved is a production of Boston 25 News. It was created by Bob Ward, and the podcast is produced by me, Dalton Maine, with additional sound mixing help from Sean Anker and archival assistance from Nicole Gordon. Music from today's episode was composed by Miguel D'Oliveira and Stephen Teller. We'd like to say a special thank you to WFSB News in Hartford, Connecticut, for providing us with some clips from their archives. You can find more information about this case and links to some of WFSB's coverage at boston25.com unsolved.